I wanted to be a mom so bad. And this was the first time in my life that here was a problem I couldn't solve mm-hmm. and I couldn't fix. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. I don't just talk about adoption. I live adoption. Hey, guess what? Welcome to season five. Can you believe it? We've done so many shows and told so many great stories. It's just such an honor to tell stories and sit down with families and hear their adoption journey. And I'll just tell you, we have a new look. If you haven't noticed, we have a new website. We have cameras on us now. We are now on YouTube. And so the podcast is changing so much. But honestly, I keep saying it's the same old podcast, just a whole new look. We are still telling stories. So if you're new to Adoption Now, we do tell stories from all over the world from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parent. We talk about adoption and foster care and the real issues that are happening right now. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your adoption process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have agencies, therapists, psychologists, and lawyers that can help you. Check out our website at adoptionnow.com. Okay. Today is a great day because we have one of those amazing psychologists on, Dr. Claire Dumkey. Thank you for joining us. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. How did you hear about us? I think one of my adoption Facebook groups that I'm on talked very highly about you. I was actually looking for other moms. And and I didn't pay you to say that, right? No, you sure <laughs> didn't. <laughs> you know, I love to tell stories and I love when people come on. I always say this, tell their stories, but also they help the adoption community. And you are one of those people. You are a licensed psychologist and you specialize in therapy and assessment for children affected by autism spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol syndrome, ADHD, and learning differences. You are an adoptive mother, and you and your husband have two daughters, Mm -hmm. one through adoption and the other through surrogacy, which is so interesting. I can't wait to hear your story. And we're going to talk about what your practice does to help the adoption community. So let's start with your journey. You get married, and what happens next? Yeah, so we get married. I'm a little bit older, so we start the process fairly quickly of trying to um, have kids and wanted to become a family and pretty quickly became evident that we were going to have trouble. We sought out fertility treatments initially and went the whole IVF route. Um, we had one failed uh, cycle, one failed transfer. Um, and then it became pretty evident over the course of a year that I just couldn't stay pregnant. And so we kind of decided Well, we started looking at what our options were at that point. We just really wanted to be a family. I wanted to be a mom. I didn't really care how we got there. And so we looked into um, adoption. We have many friends who have adopted kiddos. And um, at the same time, my cousin had also offered to be our surrogate. We had embryos left over. So everything kind of happened at once. We started the adoption process. We were told that... um, to get to the point of being uh, shown to prospective birth mothers or birth parents. That would take about a year, Mm -hmm. being very type A that I am. It took (laughs) us two months from first phone call to... Oh, you got all your paperwork done quickly. Boom, boom. Our home study was done in two weeks. And then we were told it would take a year and a half to be matched. And so during that time, my cousin started the process um, preparing her body to see if it might be... Um, able to carry a child for us. And so that train had kind of left the station. And from the point of um, 
starting to be shown to birth parents, we were matched in a month and a half. Oh my gosh. Okay. You had to back up your story. You're going <laughs> no, so fast. Okay. So you have infertility issues. You mm-hmm. did that whole route with IVF and it failed. That's very expensive. Oh yes. So when you transferred to, okay, we're going to do this adoption, were you thinking it's, it's also so expensive. And then add on surrogacy. I know she's a family member. Did you have to pay her? We didn't have to, but we certainly wanted to because we wanted to make sure she was comfortable. And I mean, she, it was successful. So she, you know, gave us the greatest gift that anyone could possibly give us. And so, yes, we, for the better part of two years, we just completely and totally hemorrhaged money, but it was worth it. I, you know, yeah, absolutely. Me and my husband say, what better thing to spend money on than right than life. Please. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We say that all the time too, but I remember going through it and thinking we are going to bring home this child and not afford to feed this child. You know, yeah. really, honestly, all of our money was going out. And I have told the story a million times, but we um, sold our houses several times oh, to wow. try to make that money back. We were moving like every two years and everyone's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, we're broke. That's what we are. <laughs> oh, we need to pay for the next adoption. So um, I just going from one loss to a possible next loss. What were you feeling like emotionally? I mean, it was just a lot. We went from so many losses to then being matched and being so excited and um, then going to you know, all the appointments for my cousin with um, the surrogacy. And it was, a, I mean, it was, it was an emo- emotional roller coaster for the better part of two years. Yes. In addition to spending all our money. Right. And that's a loss too. <laughs> yes. That's the thing that people don't talk about is that I felt loss of everything, loss of control, mm-hmm. loss of money, loss because we were having incomplete adoptions. I was just grieving so much in that time that it feels kind of like a blur. And I can tell that you're kind of like going back into that moment and trying to remember what it was like. What was it like to have a surrogacy situation going on at the same time as an adoption? And did they, did they tell you you couldn't do that? They didn't. Um, we didn't also tell them that oh. that's what we were doing, but they didn't tell us that we couldn't kind of concurrently plan. I think we expected the adoption to take so long that we figured that, and we didn't know if the surrogacy would work mm-hmm. because we had had so many losses. We didn't really know if they, if the embryos were viable, right? You know, regardless of who carried them. So did they tell you that your body couldn't carry, that it was not an embryo issue? They didn't, they wanted to continue to pursue cycle after cycle with me. Mm-hmm. And I pursued a lot of just different blood work and looking into trying to understand why it wasn't working. Cause they had initially given us like a 90% success rate mm-hmm. and learned that my body was just not going to successfully um, carry, carry a pregnancy to term and mm-hmm. um, safely, I think for the child too. Okay, I'm going to get a lot of questions about surrogacy. So I want to ask you as many questions as I can so that other people can consider this. If you have a family member who's stepping up and saying, hey, I I will carry for you. How does that change your relationship? I mean, it's crazy. It's, you know, how do you how do you thank someone for, you know, hey, can I can I borrow your uterus for 10 months? That would be awesome. (laughs) Um, It's definitely we're always close. We're a very close family. Um, she lives about three and a half hours from us. She has kiddos that we're very close with. Um, so it's, but it's definitely brought us closer and, um, you know, taken our relationship to the next level. She's um, obviously has a very, very special relationship with Hazel, who she carried. Did she have children? 
She has three children. So at least in the state of Colorado, the agencies, the fertility clinic that we worked with, it was a requirement for her to have had a successful pregnancy and successful birth in the past in order to qualify as a surrogate. And do you take that person with you? Let's say it's your cousin in your case, but if you have a friend, how does that work? You say to your doctor, so I have somebody that's going to carry these embryos and then the next appointment is with that person? Mm -hmm. So poor Lindsay, she went through a lot of testing and blood work Mm -hmm. because they want to make sure that, you know, she, her body, as much as they can control things is, is going to be able to um, have a successful pregnancy. And then she had to, um, she had to drive down here a lot um, to go to appointments and do different testing and lots of blood work. And then they essentially tricked her body into being ready for pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So she had to do all the hormones and everything. Which so is really the same a, as embryo adoption, mm-hmm. right? So she's just getting prepared and absolutely taking all those hormones and it's very hard on your body. So she was giving you this great gift. And did you feel, I mean, it's your cousin, but I'm just trying to think about the relationship that you have with a birth mother. Did you feel that way too? Because you really can't say thank you enough. And at the same time, you know that there's grief and loss that they are going through. Mm-hmm. So your joy is their pain and you love them. You want to thank them. There's so many different emotions. Can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least for Lindsay, who was our surrogate, she certainly experienced grief. I think afterwards, um, living three and a half hours away with her own kiddos, she wasn't able to, we saw her about once a month for um, quite a number of months when Hazel was first born because she missed her tremendously. Did you expect that? I did. I don't know if Lindsay did. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So she did some counseling afterwards just to process Mm -hmm. that. And I don't know that she was fully prepared for that loss because she had a relationship with her for the better part of nine or 10 months. So was there any part of her that thought, I really want to keep this baby? No. No. She knew. Yeah. She knew. In her heart. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, still, you love this little person and you have given life to this person. Let's talk about your husband. Yeah. In this whole process, is he like, okay, so your cousin is going to carry our baby, <laughs> but we're also matched to this adoption situation. What was he experiencing? I mean, poor Mark. I just kind of sometimes <laughs> take him along for the ride. I can be a force to be reckoned with for sure. I wanted to be a mom so bad. And um, just this was the first time in my life that here was a problem I couldn't solve mm-hmm. and I couldn't fix in like immediately and so that was really challenging for me and this whole process has taught me so much about control and the universe and mm-hmm. um really being able to kind of go with the flow but mark is amazing he's my rock and through all the storms that we had he stuck by me and through all the hormones <laughs> with fertility <laughs> the crazy new wife he's still <laughs> here and more stronger than ever and i don't know he's great i can't say enough great things about him and he's such a good dad did he want to be a dad as oh, bad yeah. as you wanted to be a mom? Absolutely. He has a little niece and he took to fatherhood so naturally. Mm-hmm. He has patience for days and um, yeah, so he he really wanted this as much as I did. And he was willing to say, yeah, let's have, because some men are like, I don't really want your cousin to carry our baby. I mean, I don't want these sort of complicated relationships mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And that really stops a lot of men from going forward in the adoption process mm-hmm. because it's it's terrifying. And, and what if... They want to keep the baby in. What if it's awkward? And what if there's a shift in our family? And, you know, and and now we're matched to these people. And what if that doesn't go through? I mean, there's all these questions you have. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like he just 
kept going forward with yep. you. Absolutely. Trusted you maybe Absolutely. that and you guys are going to make it through. Yeah. He already had such a great relationship with my family and knew that, you know, this would, it would be a good situation. Um, we learned a lot along the way about open adoption um, and kind of the benefits of that. Um, and we're very lucky um, to have the relationship that yeah, we I do. Yeah, I can't wait to talk I about know. that. Don't jump ahead. Okay, sorry, You're talking sorry. so fast. <laughs> sorry. Okay, so you go forward. You're going to do the surrogacy. She's pregnant. Not yet. Okay. So it's it's kind of a six-week process from start. Like the train has left the station. She's doing the shots. She's doing the patches. She's doing the blood draws to check her hormone levels. So that's a six-week process. We are matched at this point. Um but yes, the train had left the station on on the surrogacy front, but nothing had happened as far as the transfer goes. Okay, so you get matched, and how far along is that birth mother? She is, well, when we were matched, she was six months pregnant. So okay. we were in the process of testing Lindsay in, during that time to see if she was even a viable candidate to be a surrogate. And so you said yes to that situation? We did. So you were going to go forward and you were super excited. We did, yes. So we received paperwork about this particular birth mom. Mark was out of town on business. And so I called him. We got had gotten an email from Of course he was. Of course he was. If you want to be matched, go on a vacation. Send your husband away because that's the time you're going to be matched. Exactly. Um, So we're talking on the phone, looking at it together. Do we want to be shown to this birth mother considered... And so we decided, yes, I had asked my caseworker, when are we going to know one way or the other? You know, this was our first, um, we hadn't been shown previously. Um, and so she said, oh, probably two weeks maybe. And we got a phone call the next day and Marky's worker said, she picked you. And I just started Falling. sobbing. Yeah, I was at work and I walked into um, the office I share with my business, par- business partner and she's like, what's wrong? And I'm just sobbing, can barely talk. And I said, she picked us. We're going to have a baby. So yeah, it was really emotional. And then I called Mark and he didn't answer. And so I called him again (laughs) and called him again. Yeah, over and over. And how did he respond? He was so happy. Yeah. And where was she? In Texas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Okay. First of all, what agency did you use? We went through Adoption Choices of Colorado. Okay. But But they they have a sister agency in Texas. Okay. Other states and... Okay, so they could show you anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. And I always give the advice, if you're going to adopt, pick an agency, not always, but it's better to pick an agency that has several other states that they work with because you have a bigger pool and bigger opportunity to be matched faster. So here you are, you're going to go to Texas. Okay, so you're excited about that. Did you yeah. meet her right away? So we so we were matched in December. She requested to meet us. And we flew there, I think at the end of January and met her. We had a caseworker caseworker here and she had a caseworker in Texas, which was really nice. So she had support along the way. And so the caseworker came and we went to lunch. And Tell us about that. So nerve wracking. I was so nervous. I was so nervous, but it went so well. We had lunch. She brought um, one of her kiddos with her. And so that was nice to kind of have that buffer. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It went really well and like nothing I've ever, I've ever done before. We flew to Texas and to have lunch with a birth mom mm-hmm. and then flew home. And <laughs> let me just tell you birth moms, 
If you're listening to this, we are so nervous to meet you. So nervous. We want to say the right things and you don't know what to say. You don't want to be like over the top nice, but then you don't want to be distant and you just have to feel out the person. And that's what I learned is that we got all this training on what to do and how to talk to her. But it went out the window when I actually met her mm -hmm. because you just meet the person. It's just mm -hmm. meeting a person. Totally. And getting to know them and being yourself. Yes. Because she picked you because she wants her child to be with you. And yes. just remember that when you go into the meeting, just be yourself. When we were doing our profile, I had so many questions about, well, what do we put in? What do we not put in? Mm -hmm. And you know, our caseworkers kept saying, you know, she'll pick you for a reason that you can't even predict. And she picked us because I had put one thing in there about how my, my sister is my best friend. And she just loved that so much because one of her sisters is her best friend. Oh and gosh. so she really related to that. I love that I so know. much. It's, it's really always sweet. just that one thing. One time I was a golden retriever. Mm -hmm. the, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I had a story where the birth mother said, I picked them because they had a golden retriever and I always wanted a golden retriever. Right. I mean, so you just have to be yourself because you don't know what that one line is going to be. No. Okay. This is something I find very interesting about your story. You are Caucasian. Yes. And this birth mother was African-American. Yes. Did you feel nervous about that? No, I think, you know, we have a transracial adoption. Ruby is black. And um, there are factors to that that will, that we have to consider throughout her life that mm -hmm. we have considered since she was born. I think I tr we trusted in our birth mom that she chose us and so that was what she felt was right for her unborn child um, I think we did experience some hesitation from family members when we mm -hmm. did arrive at the birth but since then that has um, kind of gone away did you think that any of the family members would step in no I don't think we felt for that, like this, it didn't seem like a high risk match mm. to us. Our birth mom um, is is she's really smart. She's a little bit older. She um, just seems to really have a an amazing head on her shoulders, and she felt really confident with her decision. Um, her sister, who I mentioned, is her best friend. She was at the hospital, and she was very guarded, and it was very clear that she was very protective of her sister. Um, and so that was hard in the mm -hmm. hospital. But since then, that um, we've visited Texas um, and visited with birth family. And um, she really, during that trip, kind of opened, um, ex took us in with open arms. Yeah, and, she accepted it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you meet her, you fly back, and how long until you know that your cousin is pregnant? Right. So the train has left the station. We had the embryo transfer was scheduled and I had to call the fertility clinic and say, so hypothetically, if we, Mark and I were not able to attend the embryo transfer and they kind of looked at me and said, well, why would you not be, what could you possibly have to do better than right. come to the transfer? I said, well, in the event that and at that point, we had to tell them that we um, were also adopting and baby was due. And we had kind of a two-week or 12-day window if, but that if she came early, we wouldn't be able to be there. And lo and behold, we got the call on a Tuesday at 6 in the morning that birth mom was in labor. The transfer was scheduled for two days later. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So you didn't go, but they were okay. The clinic yep. was okay with it. Yeah, we FaceTimed. And how did your cousin feel that she was about to carry your baby, but you were going to get a baby? I know. 
um, you know, she just was, she knew, she's like, you were destined to be a mom. You were meant to be a mom. And I know you, you know, want more than one kiddo. And, you know, she was, um, she was totally on board with it. Um, her mom went with her to the transfer and we FaceTimed in and I have screenshots of, you know, me crying and she's in, <laughs> the doctor said, well, this is a first. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When people are hearing this, they're going to want this to be their story. It was I mean, crazy. I want it was this crazy. to be my story. When I was thinking about adopting, I wanted all the babies at once, right? I have four now, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> no more babies. Yes. But to think that you might get twins or you might be called twice mm -hmm. is so exciting. And mm -hmm. so here you are. She's going to get the transfer. You're on a plane to Texas. Yeah. We were in Texas at that point. Okay. We had been born. So the tr then the embryo transfer took place. And then we st stayed in Texas. ICPC took uh, two weeks, mm -hmm. so we were in Texas for two weeks. We rented a little Airbnb, which I would highly recommend over a hotel because mm -hmm. we had a little house, and it was just kind of this really special time that we got to spend with just Ruby um, before, you know, family kind of descended upon right. us when we got home. And so we actually then found out while we were in Texas, uh, Lindsay went in for a blood test, and we found out that she was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a, a lot of time. really good news. When you showed up to the hospital, what was your relationship like with birth mom after birth? I mean, in the hospital, because mm -hmm. that's a super highly emotional time. Yeah. So she had originally uh, wanted us there for the birth, which was so exciting. And it didn't obviously happen that way because uh, Ruby had her own plans about when she was going to come. And so we got there seven hours after Ruby was born. And um, she was, birth mom was just really lovely to us. And we, you know, offered you know, we held her right away and I'm sobbing and um, the hospital was very accommodating to us. They weren't full. And so they gave us a room uh, for us as well. And we were in the hospital for two nights. And um, during that time, birth mom had her family coming kind of in and out. Um, and so we would have Ruby and then she would come next door and say, can I take the baby for a little bit? My mom is here or my sister is here. And that was really stressful. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you know, said, of course, but you know, it was so hard. Uh, you know, what if she's going to change her mind? And um, if she did, that was okay, but would have been heartbreaking for us. And it was just it was such an emotional time. It is emotional. So much different than when you are giving birth. Mm -hmm because you know that's your baby, mm -hmm. right? So you just go and you give birth and you hold your baby, but here you are happy and sad and scared and you you have to hand the baby over. It's really not your baby, but you want it to be your baby so bad and you already love the baby. So there's all these things going on and I would just say, do the next step. And that's what yep. you're saying is, yep, you didn't really want to hand that baby over. I've been there. We didn't. But you did. Yep. And we were just so self-conscious. We, you know, yeah, I remember that. Oh, am I holding the baby right? Are they going to think I'm a bad mom? Am I? <laughs> she would bring her to our room and she would be wrapped in the swaddle that was like, how did she do that? It was perfect and tight and every corner was tucked in. <laughs> so then she would come and say, can I visit with the baby for a while? And we'd hand her over in this like crumpled up. We just, you know, like, oh, she's going to think we don't know what we're doing because we can't swaddle this baby correctly. <laughs> she was so good at it because she has children already and so we were self-conscious even about our swaddling technique. It's, it's hard. It's really so hard. hard. Okay, we have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the story because we want to know about this new baby that's coming and how the babies get along and your open adoption and what you do to help the adoption community. There's so much to talk about. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. 
Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I am Noah, April's husband, and as you know, the adoptive dad of four. Today I have AJ with me, our eight-year-old son. Hi, Dad. AJ, do you have anything to say to our listeners? Yes, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Your mom loves to talk about it, doesn't she? She sure does. Keep listening and subscribe to our weekly episodes. If you have a story you would like to tell, please check us out at AdoptionNow.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Dr. Claire. Her story is so exciting. Okay, so she just brought home this baby, and she has a cousin that is carrying a baby for her. So she's going through surrogacy at the same time. Dr. Claire, we need to catch up on the story. What happened next? After you bring home this child, you find out your cousin tested positive. She's pregnant. So now you're waiting for another baby. What was that nine months like? I mean, it was it was crazy. So they're eight months apart. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a wild ride. Ruby was very tiny when she was born. So we were up a lot with her. Um, we had eight months to kind of get to know her and bond. And that was amazing. And then along came Hazel. So you get the call that she's in labor. Yes. Well, so she was actually scheduled to be induced at full term. Okay. Because um, I had missed Ruby's birth and I wanted so badly to be there for Hazel's birth and we were three and a half hours away. So we had grandparents come down and watch Ruby and we uh, went to, she lives in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, drove up to Grand Junction uh, to prepare for Hazel's birth. And what was that like? Amazing. So she was in labor for I think 17 hours. Um, But it was, it was an incredible experience. I got to lay in the bed with Lindsay and the doctor was uh, so incredible throughout the whole process, but um, he let me pull Hazel out. So, and I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So in some ways, like we just, you know, we went through that experience together and it was so emotional. And I have some of the most incredible pictures of, you know, Hazel being pulled out and placed on my chest. And um, I can't, I don't have words for, I get goosebumps when I think about just our whole journey through all of this. What is it like to show up to a hospital and have someone else birthing your DNA? Mm-hmm. You know, because we think about adoption mm-hmm. and it's not like that. It's mm-hmm. different. It's different. It's this person's DNA that I am adopting, but this woman is giving birth to your child, mm-hmm. you and your husband's child. Mm-hmm. I think I just felt really bad for Lindsay because she's, you know, in labor and in pain. And I just kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, it was just... It, it was incredible. I think that, you know, initially I had really wanted to be pregnant and throughout our journey, mm. you know, had to let go of that and then just really wanted a healthy child. And um, Lindsay was very good at making babies. And so she, um, Hazel was uh, born and was healthy. And we, again, the hospital was very accommodating and gave us a, our own room. And um, so Lindsay could sleep and, uh we had Hazel, and then we, uh, I think, spent one night in Grand Junction after we were released from the hospital. And then we just really, you know, it was really hard to leave Lindsay mm-hmm. at that point. But we also really missed Ruby and needed to be home. Who for watched our Ruby? Other baby, her, her grandparents, uh, Mark's parents. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you left, what did you say to Lindsay? Ugh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, there aren't words. Where? How do you find words mm-hmm. for something like that? Um, we did give her, we gave her a necklace that had uh, 
four stones to represent the four children that she had she brought burned. into this world. Hmm. Yeah. How much is with surrogacy? I know she was your cousin, so yep. it was a little bit different. But if somebody's looking at this option, how much can they expect to pay? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm scared now that you're laughing I mean, like that. So if you're going to use your own embryos and you go through you know, that process of egg retrieval um, and it's not covered by insurance, which it, it wasn't for us, and then the standard rate of what you have to pay for the fertility medications for the surrogate and the hospital bills and then to compensate the surrogate, um, I would prepare easily for six figures. What? <laughs> six <laughs> figures? Mm-hmm. Like $100,000? Like that many? Six? Six. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot. It is a She's lot. not covered under her insurance? She was not. So her particular insurance plan, we we weren't counseled and didn't do our due diligence in buying her an insurance plan that would cover. And we didn't find that out until we were um, into the pregnancy. And so we got kind of stuck in the cycle. And so we had to actually pay out of pocket for Hazel's birth. Oh my goodness. Because it was not covered by insurance because surrogacy is considered an elective. I did not know it was that expensive. Mm -hmm. How much is just when a surrogate wants to be a surrogate, how much does she get paid normally? Typically 30 to 40. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And does that cover her therapy afterwards? Um, It didn't, no. So, but we did, we did cover that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can't really put a price on a life and we always say that, but that's a lot of money to consider. And when you think about embryo adoption, if you can carry a baby, it only costs about, right now we're seeing about Mm 7,000. It can go up to about 16, depending on your agency, but we're seeing people not even use agencies anymore. And so they're just paying the clinic and the transfer. Wow. So, I mean, that's the cheapest way to obviously go through adoption, Mm -hmm. but I did not know it was that much. When we had lawyer fees, obviously for the adoption, but then mm-hmm. for the surrogacy as well, because you have to have a contract, even if it's a family member. Right. Yeah. When you went home, what was it like bringing this baby home to your what nine-month-old baby? Eight months. Eight, eight months. months old. Oh it my was gosh. crazy. It was crazy. I think, um, I don't know. I think in some ways it was actually easier than if we had had a toddler because Ruby was only just crawling at that time. At eight months old, she's not really experiencing jealousy yet Mm -hmm. so she was just interested in hazel and they were just both babies right and so yeah we were really tired but we were really really happy and how did you get their names we just really loved their names their middle names have meaning their first names were just names we really loved um so ruby's middle name she's named after her birth great grandmother um and that was per the request of her birth mom um we asked her would you choose a middle name for Ruby. And then Hazel shares the same middle name as Lindsay, um, who was her surrogate. So I love that. Yeah. Does Hazel look like you guys? She does. Yeah. She um, didn't really look like either of us when she was born. She had just cheeks for days. Um, (laughs) But she is, she has Mark's eyes. She has these gorgeous Hazel eyes. Um, Yeah. And how old are they now? 22 months and 14 months. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's fun. It, it is I mean, fun. it's really fun when you feel so empty and you bring children home, even in your worst day, you're like, I have kids mm-hmm. because I would rather be crying because I'm tired mm-hmm. than crying because I have no mm-hmm. children. Yeah. And so it's a big difference. Everybody probably stops you and say, yeah, I bet people stop you and say a lot of weird things 
because they're trying to process the age <laughs> they're almost and different yeah. races. And yeah. what do they say to you? Oh, they, we get a lot of questions. Are they twins? And I look at them and <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you know, because Hazel has this like alabaster skin. She's, uh, you know, dark hair, alabaster skin. Ruby's, you know, black. She's dark. She's gorgeous. And they couldn't look. Hazel has stick straight hair. <laughs> Ruby's got this gorgeous Gorgeous, flowing, curly hair. Listen, I want you to start saying yes. <laughs> yes, they are. It would just be easier to say yeah, that. Yeah, I do that. But it's because the girls look alike, but they're mm-hmm. two years apart. So one's like right. really short and stumbling around like a toddler. And the other one's like super athletic. And they're like, are they twins? And I just started saying yes. Yeah. But people ask if my children are all biological. And one of my girls is Hispanic. Right. And the rest of them are African-American. I'm like, no, they're not biological but sometimes I they just say yeah i know i'm like i don't want to explain to everybody i know you taught me some things about hair though what did it, you taught me about, about the silk mm-hmm. i knew that you were supposed to wrap a baby's head in silk an african-american little baby's head in silk or like sometime do that but i'm like yeah right How they, they rip it off oh, yeah they rip everything off so silk sheets yeah so we have satin sheets a satin i made ruby a satin uh diaper cover changing pad and then we have uh, satin that goes over her car seat too, so that she doesn't rub her Frizz. hair. Frizz mm-hmm. it. You spend so much time doing their hair and mm-hmm. getting the parts perfect, and it looks amazing. And they go in the car mm-hmm. seat and they rub the back of their head, mm-hmm. and it's just one big frizzy mess. And you're like, no, I really didn't spend time on this hair. Yep. So that answered my question. Yep. You also have these great products, and we yep. can talk about that and put that on social yep. media. For also people. hats for the winter time, getting satin lined winter hats. So and just a regular hat with satin lining. Didn't you have one with a hole in it? Was that you? No, but those are awesome. I need to get that because my girls have the ponytail and they need that yeah. because otherwise a hat doesn't fit. Right, <laughs> right. So they need to get um, those hats too. So I find your story very interesting because your birth mother and her extended family are very close to you. Yes. You go and visit and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. We've gone, we've done one visit and I, I was so nervous. I think I had a panic attack in the DIA, DIA airport on our way there because I just was so overwhelmed. Like, what is this going to be like? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to expect. And it was amazing. Um, they, we spent the entire, I think it was, we were there for four days and we spent time with birth mom siblings aunties grandma um it was a lot of people but by the end i mean they were just so welcoming and loving and telling us that we were doing a good job really yeah so amazing yeah got to learn a lot about ruby's history sat down and kind of did this family tree with birth mom and um learned that she is native american in her history which was really cool and um it was just incredible um and i hope that that's something that continues throughout ruby's life what were you afraid of? I think I was just afraid that they weren't all going to be. I knew that birth mom was going to be welcoming, but I was worried about extended family and um, her sister, you know, wasn't um, super welcoming to us at first, but she was so amazing uh, during that visit and kind of pulled us aside at one point and said, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to see Ruby thriving and doing so well. And, um, that she, you know, thought we were doing a good job, which meant, you know, the world to us because I want her to, I mm-hmm. want that, you know, I want her, our, we call them our Texas family, mm-hmm. um, to feel good about their decision and know that Ruby is loved and well taken care of. Why do you think it's important to go and visit them mm-hmm. as opposed to sending 
pictures or just calling, mm-hmm. why do you think it's important to actually go there? I think if you are able to navigate that, if you're able to have a healthy relationship, I think you know the research just shows that having that connection to the child's birth family is so important for that child because right now Ruby doesn't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but she will. Um, and she'll have lots of questions and being able to have a relationship with her birth family um, hopefully will help her with that part of her. Um, were they accepting to Hazel? They were. They were yeah. wonderful. We have this family shot of everyone. Um, before we left, we had a, a barbecue, and so we took a family photo, and uh, Mark and I are at one end, and somehow Hazel ended up in a cousin's arms uh, all the way down at the other end of the photo, and <laughs> they just loved her. Everyone was... Um, even teenage boys, her co- her siblings um, are teenagers. She has two brothers who are teenagers. Ruby's and they, brothers? Yes. Yeah. And they were there the whole time, present. You know, I would have expected at their age, you know, be off on their phones or playing video games. And they were just in it and playing with Ruby and Hazel. And um, I don't know, we couldn't have asked for anything more. We just feel so lucky mm-hmm. um, that they are who they are. That's amazing. Are you planning on adopting again? I don't know. Mark says, can we talk about it in a year? I'm so tired. <laughs> it's I'm tired a little. Yeah. I think, you know, one of my concerns for Ruby is she's she is the only one who looks like her mm-hmm. in our family. And so, um, you know, whether we adopt or not, um, it will be important for Ruby to have lots of uh, racial mirrors in mm-hmm. her life as she grows up. Well, you know my opinion on that. Mm-hmm, Not do. that my opinion matters <laughs> or is always, you know, valid, but I no, will tell you my whole family dynamic changed for AJ when we brought home this little girl that looked like him. Yeah. And we had a little girl and he said, yeah, I love that little girl. She's, she's cute, but she doesn't have hair like me. Yep. He say hair. Mm-hmm. And then we brought home Vivi and when people approach us, he didn't feel like everyone was staring at him or asking a question about him. Mm-hmm. He's like, they're asking us mm-hmm. questions about our family. And it just gave him more confidence. And if I can help other families be encouraged to bring home another child that looks like the child you adopted, mm-hmm. I would say 100%. And if it's a money thing, contact us. We want to help you. We mm-hmm. we don't want money to ever stand in the way of, of bringing home children. Mm-hmm. It should not be a factor. And it is. You've just mentioned 100000 for surrogacy. But even your adoption cost... A lot. A lot. It was like a above 50000 I mean, it was a lot of money. And we, we've been there too. They can be more inexpensive, but you're looking at at least $10,000, at least. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are like, that's a deterrent. I don't want to do it. My child will be okay. But if that's the issue... That don't let that be an issue mm-hmm. and bring children home. So I'm going to help you do that, okay? I'm going to keep calling you and bothering you. Okay. Hey, when's your next baby? Right, right. I want to talk a little bit about what you do for the adoption community and how we even connected. You are a yep. psychologist. Yep. So talk to me about your practice. Yeah, so I co-own an agency in, uh, called Insights Colorado Assessment and Therapy, and we do assessment and therapy. We specialize in autism spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, ADHD, learning disabilities, executive dysfunction. So we do a lot of assessment, and then we also provide a lot of therapy and parent support for the community. And do you help a lot of adoptive families? Do you see these issues are in adopted children? We do, unfortunately. We do a a lot of assessment for for everything, but there is a a focus on on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders that we assess for. And there are nine of you on staff? Yes. 
So that's a lot of help that mm-hmm. you can offer to people. You also do therapy for families that are struggling mm-hmm. um, to blend together. Mm-hmm. Families that parents maybe need some extra therapy on their marriage. Um, I know that that happens a lot with adoption is that the stress of what you've just been through has now offset your marriage. And so mm-hmm. you have to kind of get back on track and, and you help with that. You also help with reactive attachment disorder. Yes, we do a lot of that. A lot of what we do is parent coaching. So a lot of kiddos, whether they have autism or fetal alcohol, um, have a lot of behavioral problems. And so we help parents with how to navigate that piece of it. How can people get a hold of you? And do they have to be in Colorado? No. So as far as being able to access um, their insurance to go through therapy or assessment, they would have to be in Colorado. But um, because of what we specialize in, we I think we've had people fly from Alaska to, to get assessed, but then they go back and then you can help them. Mm-hmm. But we can also do teletherapy. Um, so parent coaching can be provided um, through, um, you know, online sources. So um, we can be reached on yes. our website. Yes. Yeah. So we're at uh, insightsdenver.com. And we can also be reached our phone number, the old fashioned way is 303-935-5307. I'll have all of that information on social media so that people can get a hold of you. Uh, That is the biggest question we always get. Well, number one, money. And number two, we need therapy afterwards. We need our child to be assessed. We're not sure what is happening right now with behavioral things or the school is saying this and things are popping up. Well, and one of the things too, I think that, you know, we always talk a lot about early intervention and I know in the state of Colorado, and I think it's true for most states, is that in order to access intervention, whether that's therapy through your insurance or county funds or even getting support through school, you have to have a formal diagnosis Mm -hmm. before you can access any sort of support. And so we try and help families with that piece of it. So we look at, you know, what is going on and if they meet criteria for a certain diagnosis, then we help them to say, okay, this should then help you open some doors to get some support. And you take Medicaid. We do. We take huge. Health First Colorado Medicaid. Yep. So the state Medicaid. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Claire. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.